statements and, and, and say things in, in public and, and try to make a name for themselves that they too, they too try to be inclusive and, 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 and try, to, try to bring everything under one umbrella. And, and the, the, the sad truth is that as this happens, as, as people stand out and make these statements, so I'll give you some examples here in just a minute, but as people stand out and make these statements, those of us who should know better, those of us who, who have the truth, who have an understanding, we oftentimes don't stand up and defend what we know to be true. You know, unfortunately, the reality is that, that, that we deal with and live in is that as we live our life and, and have watered down the gospel message with our life and as, as we water down the gospel message in the way we live our lives and water down the gospel message in the way we speak about it and talk about it, we completely ignore this issue. We downplay the role of Christ in salvation. We ignore the absolute necessity we have of a need for a Savior. I don't think we need to be rude. I don't think we need to be crass or harsh. I don't think we need to be uncaring or, or, or not compassionate, uncompassionate. But in our efforts not to offend people, we have, have let them buy into a lie. We ourselves have propagated a lie. We've got to do something different. We've got to recognize that, 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 that this passage that we'll study today, that this verse that we'll look at intently today, it's not something that Jesus said in passing. It's not something that, that just accidentally came out. But it's the testimony of all of Scripture. Before we read it, I think we need to understand the context of it. I think we need to see really how, what perspective he's coming to this from. I think we really need to, to understand that the, the, the circumstances around it. And for those of you that have been here and, and, and been following through this, this study through John, you're going to remember this more. But for those of you that haven't, John 13 really starts the, the beginning of the end for Jesus, um, or the beginning of the end of his life here on earth. He has pulled back out of public ministry. He is now meeting with his disciples in the upper room. He's just hours from crucifixion. Just hours from being uh, tried and convicted wrongly and hung on a cross to die. But it's in that room on that night that Jesus begins to teach and become very pastoral and, and, and look at these people and give them instruction about how to carry on, how to live in, in, in light of his example. In fact, he gives them two examples. He tells them first that they're to serve as he'd served them. He had washed their feet and he says, now you're to follow that example. You're to live that way. Then he says, now I'm going to give you a new command. And, and, and he uses himself as an example. As I have loved you, you're to love one another. And he, and he sets for them this example. He sets for them this, this person to look at. As I've done this, you do it. He teaches them about the Lord's Supper. You know, they eat that night. And, and he puts together this, the, the, the sacrament or the, the, um, the, uh, the ordinance that we observe today called the Lord's Supper. He puts that together and he, and he represents his body with the bread and he represents his blood with the, with the wine and he says, here it is. Now, now you're going to do this. And you're going to remember me while you do it. And then he tells them, you know, as, as you're living in this example and as, as, as you're following this command and as you're observing the Lord's Supper together, remember this. 
that among you, or know this, among you is one who's going to betray me. And suddenly, I, I think that this, for them, was the beginning of a very tumultuous time, of a, a very difficult circumstance. Somebody that's with us is going to betray you. Somebody that, that, that we've served with, that we know, is going to betray you. And then he tells them something I think that rocked their world. I'm leaving. And where I'm going, you can't come. And Peter, Peter hears this and, and he's struck. He's like, Jesus, I would go with you anywhere. I would follow you no matter what the cost. I would do whatever it took to be by your side. And Peter, of all people, was told, before the rooster crows in the morning, you're going to deny me three times. And I think as, as they hear this, as his followers hear this, everything that they've expected and known for three years seems to be unraveling. They have followed this man. They've left their, their, their ways of life. They've left their living behind to follow him because they trusted him, because they believed in him. And now he's sitting in this, in this room and he's saying, I'm leaving. One of you is going to betray me. You're going to deny me, Peter. But I want you to carry on in following this example. And that's the, that's the, that's the perspective that we come to this passage in. That's the, that's the idea that these people are dealing with. That's the problems that they're facing. And as Jesus begins to speak to them, don't hear it as if someone, as some, some uh, hard-hearted um, preacher standing up and not caring about them and just hammering it into them. You're going to do this. You've got to be this. You've got to live up to this. No, he's speaking to them with compassion and concern. In fact, at one point in chapter 13, he tells them, little children, dear children, hear me. He's speaking to them with, with deep compassion and deep love. And it's that tone, it's that voice that I want you to hear as we pick our passage back up. We're going we're gonna to read the context. It's John 14, 1 through 6. We really focused on, on the first part of this chapter last, or two weeks ago. But I want you to hear it, and I want you to hear His voice. I want you to hear His tone. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in Me. In My Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, what have I told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and I will take you to Myself that where I am you may be also. And you know the way to where I'm going. And Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you're going. How, how can we know the way? And Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through Me. Now I want you to hear this. As, as Jesus calls His followers to, to have this confidence in them, as, as He says, don't let your hearts be troubled, Believe in God. Believe also in me. Believe in me the same way that you do believe in God. As he calls them to that, he gives them this assurance. He gives them great assurance. You see, I'm not going to leave you and forget about you and leave you as orphans. In fact, he deals with that a little later in his teaching. 
But I'm going to prepare a place. I'm going to go somewhere. I'm going to do something. I'm going to make it ready for you. And then I'm going to come back and get you. I have not forgotten you. I'm not leaving you to ignore you or because I don't care about you, but because this must be done in order that I can come back to get you. And as Jesus does that and gives them this assurance, I want you to get this image. We didn't go over this a couple of weeks ago, but I, I think it's very important to understanding today. I want you to get this image because I think they would have had it. I think the disciples would have understood this. The image that he is, he is presenting is that of a wedding in that day. You see, this was very common. This is a very common way that weddings happen in that day and time. The groom would go to the bride and he'd let her know, hey, this, we're going to be married and this is going to happen and, 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 and now I'm going to leave and I'm going to prepare a home for us. I'm going to prepare a place for us. And so I'm going to go and I'm going to come back and get you. And so the groom would leave and he'd go and he'd set this house up and he'd make everything ready. He would make everything ready so that his bride could be there and she'd have all she needed. And he'd go back. And as he went back, his groomsmen would run ahead and they would be shouting shouts of joy. The groom is coming. The groom is coming. Exciting everyone along the way. He's coming to get his bride. And that's the, that's the picture that Jesus has for them. Don't be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. And like a groom comes to get his bride, I am going to come back again with great joy and great celebration. I'm going to come and get you and take you to be with me where I'm going to be. I'm going to take you and, and have you with me forever. And that's the image. That's the picture. And, and, and I want you to get this. You see, as he's about to say, you know the way, you know how to get there, he's not telling them to find it on their own, is he? He said, I'm going to come back and get you. I am going to come get you. And he says, you know the way. Trust in me. Rely on me. Put your assurance and hope in me. But Thomas, as soon as he hears those words, Thomas, he, he hears these words and he says, he's going away. He tells me I know the way to get there, but I don't even know where he's going. And I want you to hear Thomas's heart because I believe Thomas wanted so desperately to be with Jesus. I think Thomas so desperately wanted to be by Jesus' side. And he hears these words and he's like, wait a minute, Jesus. No, I, I, I don't know the way. I don't even know where you're going. And he's totally missed this. He's totally missed that Jesus says he's coming to get him. He says, I need to know. You see, Thomas... <laughs> Unfortunately, Thomas is doubting that he's heard the answers that he's needed to hear. That needed to hear. He, he's doubting that Jesus has given him all the information he needs. He's thinking that in some way he's got to find his way to Jesus. He's got to find his way to get to be with Jesus. He's forgetting completely that Jesus said, I'm going to come and get you. So I need to know the way. And I want you to notice that as Jesus answered, once again, it wasn't him hammering Thomas, you stupid fool. How are you going to get it? He didn't do that. Weren't you listening to me, Thomas? I'm not going to answer you. You don't deserve an answer. He, he didn't treat him in that way at all. He tells him, I 
and the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. (laughs) See, he dealt with Thomas very pastorally. In this answer, you know, honestly, we're not only going to find our text for today and the focus of of what we're going to look at, but we truly find the, the, the focal point come to the gospel. We truly see the gospel come and be brought into to, to sharp clarity with no, no, no way to misunderstand or doubt it. All in these words. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. You know, and it's this passage that so often is looked at as, as exclusive and, and drawing divisions between people. And yeah, that's true. That's true. I mean, Jesus says, I'm the way. I'm the only way. There is no other way. I'm it. <laughs> apart from Him, there's no hope of salvation. There's, there's, apart from Jesus, there is no other way. Oprah Winfrey, you may know this already. I I don't know if I'm telling you something new or not. This happened a couple of years ago. Oprah Winfrey, Winfrey, a person of influence, I would say, probably very influential to uh, to to people in our in our culture, and maybe even to people in this building. She doesn't like this truth. A couple of years ago, she had a show on, and she had people on her panel, and they were asking questions about what it was to live a spiritual life and, and what it was to, to, to be able to find your way to um, heaven, to God, or to the light, whatever you wanted to call it. And in the midst of that, a woman stands up and says, you know, all of these things you're saying are probably good, but I want to, I want to bring one point out. And she says that, hey, not only is there a good force at work, but there's an evil force at work. And everybody claps, and, and everybody agrees with that. Oh, man, that's a wonderful thing to say. Light and dark, they're fighting against one another. Good stuff. Everybody agrees. And then Oprah begins to get on her soapbox about how she's read this book. It teaches that there are many ways to the same destination. And a woman from the crowd who wasn't even at the microphone stops her and tries to defend this point. And she says, you can't be serious. As if, are you such an idiot to think that there's only one way? There's so many people in the world. How could there only be one way? And she, she defends this point and she tries to argue this point, but she can see that Oprah's getting a little flustered. And at the end of it, she says, well, wait a minute, wait a minute. I can't enter into a religious argument with you. She has no footing to stand on. She has no ground to stand on. This woman's making a a, a good point. I don't agree with everything this woman says, but but she says this and it's true. (laughs) So many people, so many people hear what Oprah is saying and, and other leaders like her and they agree with her and they want everyone to be included and they want every way to be the same. And, and essentially what they're doing is they're taking 
they're, they're, they're taking this religious mass, these world religions, and they're throwing them all into the same pot and saying that they're the same exact thing. And I'm going to tell you that Muslims don't want to be in the same pot as Christians. And Christians don't want to be in the same pot as Jews. And Buddhists don't want to be in the same pot as Muslims. Because people who truly believe in these tenets of faith believe firmly in them and they recognize the differences between them. And people who don't understand think they're all going the same direction. It's all one truth. And no matter what you believe, as long as you follow the tenets of your religion, you find your way to God or the light or whatever it is you believe in. Now I want to compare that for just a second to what Thomas was feeling as he sat there hearing Jesus talk about leaving. Where? I don't even know where you're going. How am I going to be able to find you? Imagine if Jesus had left it at that. Imagine if Jesus had not answered him. Imagine what Thomas would have, would have thought up next. What is it going to take for me to find Jesus? For, for me to be with Him where He is? Well, I'm going to have to pray to the East five times a day. I don't know if He'd come up with that or not. Seems reasonable enough. I, 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 I'm, going to have to, I'm going to have to hang out with these people every day. Seems reasonable enough. Every Sunday, I'm going to have to show up at a service and, and I'm going to have to, 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 to act like I'm having a good time. Every Sunday, I'm going to sing songs to this guy and, and, and because I'm doing all these things, he's going to love me. Oh, wow. That statue over there, that makes me think of Jesus. I'll put that in my house and I'll bow to it and pray to it. And then he'll love me. And then, then I'll be acceptable to him. You know what? And, and I'm not going to murder anybody. And I, I'm not going to steal anything. And I'm going to follow what I believe to the best of my ability. And then Jesus will he'll, he'll find me acceptable. And I'll find Jesus that way. That's not what Jesus said. You see, that, that is a lie. And it is a lie that our enemy spreads to the best of his ability. It is so far, so far separated from what truth is. You know, sometimes lies come and they, they, they come and they have this, this smell of truth or this, this little bit of truth mixed in, but, but this one doesn't have any truth in it. It doesn't have anything close to truth in it. It's a lie. It's so far apart from what Scripture teaches us. You couldn't be any farther separated. There is only one way to God. That's through Jesus Christ. You know, even if he never made this claim himself, even if he had never said this himself, the testimony of all of Scripture says this and teaches this. All of the Old Testament points to him becoming Messiah, the Savior, the one who was going to save us from ourselves. Even the law that was given to the Israelites was never meant to save anyone. Galatians 3.24, Paul writes this, So then, the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. 
We might be losing something, a little bit something in the translation there. It's basically saying that, that, the, that the law was simply like a schoolmaster. It taught us. It taught us of our need for a Savior. It showed us our flaws. It showed us what was wrong with us and how we couldn't measure up and how badly we needed Jesus. Acts 4.12, Peter, standing in defense of, of the gospel, says, and there, is no, and there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Paul, he calls us to preach Christ because it's the only message that saves people. And he says in Romans 10, 14 through 15, he says, But how are they to call on Him who they have not believed? And how are they to believe in Him who they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. God's consistent testimony throughout Scripture is that there is a salvation in only one form. And that comes through Jesus Christ, His only Son. Jesus is the way. And there is no one on earth and no being in heaven that can say something different and make it true. This is true not because I'm preaching it. This is true not because our church believes it. This is true not because Christians worldwide agree with it. This is true because God decreed it. He speaks the truth. And because He said it, it's true. Jesus is the way. You know, the problem with this statement is not a problem with the statement. It's a problem because people don't like it. Because it calls us to a place that we are out of control, that we have to give up things that we like and love. It interferes with our lives. It requires something of us that we're unwilling to give. Even John 3.16, probably the most memorized verse in all of history. John 3.16 even alludes to this. There is only one way to salvation. But it goes beyond that because it also shows us why people don't like it. John 3.16, and I'll read through verse 21, it says this. Well, if I can find it. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through Him. Whoever believes in Him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment the light has come into the world and the people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. Even the most popular memorized verse of all time that talks about God's love for the world and that people try to use to demonstrate that God wouldn't do any bad thing to people. They pull it out of context and they, they, they twist its meaning to mean what they wanted to say. Even that verse shows us that there's only one way, and that's through the Son, through Jesus Christ. 
that shows us beyond that that here's the problem. The lights come into this world and people love the darkness rather than the light. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come into the light lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. You see, here it is. People love their sin. They love their evil ways. They love the things that they do. And to trust in Jesus and accept Him, it's, it's, it's completely against who they are because He calls them not just to trust Him in this ideological sense, but He says, trust Me and follow Me. Live like Me. Obey Me. Wait a minute. That means, that means my life is meaningless and nothing without Him. But I love my life. Well, forget Jesus. I'm going to stand and I'm going to tell God how He's going to accept me. I'm going to stand up and I'm going to make my own rules. And I'm going to tell God what He's supposed to do for me. You know, but we don't approach anything else in this way. Nothing in our world do we approach this way. Imagine, imagine if our government didn't have authority to enforce laws. What would our life be like? Imagine what it would be like if, if, if our employers had to answer only to the employees. That would be the job I'd want. Hey, boss, you do what I say. This is how we're going to do it. What would that life be like? You know, even in something as simple as sports, something as simple as sports, football. Imagine football with no rules. How would you know who won? How would you know who scored? How would you know what a first down was? Or if somebody did something wrong? But you know, not once do people stand up, not, not at any time do people stand up and say, I don't like those rules. We're going to play our own way. We're going to do it our own way. How people try maybe with the government and they go to jail. People might try it with their employers. They get fired. People might even try it in the NFL if their team loses. In everything we do in this world, we need those boundaries. We need to know what those rules are. There was a a documentary not too long ago. I don't usually watch this kind of thing, but it was on a place called Black Bear Ranch, I think is the name of it. It's a hippie commune. And I thought at first, when they started the documentary, I thought it was going to be all, all these people who were about nudism and stuff like that. And it turned out that's not what it was about. But they, they, back in the late 60s, they decided they were going to go and they were going to live a free life out in the middle of the wilderness in, uh, in California, somewhere, I think it's Southern California. You can check them out online if you're interested in going and hanging out with them. But... They, they, they were going to go live this, this unhindered free life. And they get out there, and for the first generation of people, that wasn't probably too bad. But as new people came along, as people were, were, were coming into it and it was growing, they recognized, wait a minute, these people don't look at things like we do. They're disrupting our way of life. So somewhere along in its history, they developed a trust. 
basically an agreement that everybody would agree to live by while they lived there. So suddenly their free life, their life with no rules, demanded rules. And now, if you go online, that thing is like 15 or 20 pages long. They've got as many rules to live by in their free life. <clears throat> Excuse me. They've got as many rules to live by in their free life as we do. But boy, they love it. Every part of our life demands this. And who are we to stand up and say, God, you don't know what you're doing. There's another way. Let me show it to you. Jesus is the way. And it doesn't matter what anyone else says or how we feel about it. We can take it or leave it. Jesus is the way. Now, the thing is, though, if we stop there, we would miss a major portion of what's going on here in this, in this one verse. You see, it's, it's not that Jesus was just simply wanting them to understand that He was the only way to salvation. There's so much more He's speaking about in the next part of this phrase. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through Me. See, we can't stop at the way. We have to understand that, that everything that was lost in the fall of mankind way back at the beginning is restored in Jesus Christ. Imagine. Imagine what it looked like back then. Imagine what life was like before the fall of mankind. Adam and Eve created by God in a beautiful, perfect environment. This, this garden paradise. Everything they had was there, or everything they needed was there. Everything that, that their life was to be about was there. And they lived perfectly in unison and they had this unhindered relationship with one another. And beyond that, beyond just the pragmatic things of life, they had this relationship with God that you and I can only, maybe we can't even fully imagine it. You see, they had no sin separating them from Him. They had unhindered access. They had this beautiful, this, this beautiful relationship with God, their Creator. He'd come and He'd walk in the cool of the, the garden with them, and, and they would speak to Him, and He would speak to them. Nothing interrupting it. Imagine what that life would be like. And then enters the serpent. He tempts the woman with the one fruit that God said you're not supposed to eat. In fact, the way he said it was, you eat that fruit and you're surely going to die. You will die. The serpent tempts her. She sees it's good for food. She eats it. And Adam, who was with her, let her. Well, if she eats it and doesn't die, then I can eat it too. You ever thought about being a taste tester for a king? You know, those guys that made sure that the food wasn't poisoned? That's what Adam did with Eve. She didn't die, so I can eat it too. He eats it. And in so doing, sin enters the world. God's creation is marred, and they fall. And they fall hard. And no, they didn't die physically, but immediately they were dead spiritually. Their eyes were open to see something they couldn't have understood before, and they were separated from Him, and they were, they, they were no longer going to enjoy what they had known before. And God comes to them in the garden, He confronts them, and He curses the man, He curses the woman, 
and he curses the ground on which they'll live. He curses the serpent too. But honestly, he was probably cursed already. And so now, this world we live in, even the ground we walk on, is under the curse of God. And everything it has to offer us, it may seem good, it may seem right, but in so many cases, it's a lie. And it's empty. And it leads us to despair and death. You see, what, what Jesus did, what Jesus did in coming was He put back in place the things that were lost in that moment. In Him we find truth. Jesus is the truth. You see, Jesus, Jesus in the beginning, Adam and Eve, they, they exchanged the truth for a lie. They, they, they listened to the serpent. They thought, you know what? That sounds pretty good. I like what He says. I want to be like God. So they ate the fruit, going their own way, totally losing sight of who God was and what, what, what authority and what power He had, and they bought into a lie. And that lie has been told over and over and over and over and over and over, and you're being told it in most cases every day when you step out into the world. That lie tells you that you can be like God, that you don't need Him, that you can go your own way, that you can make your own life, that you can live for your own purpose, that, that everything will be hunky-dory if you just get certain things in your life. That's a lie. Jesus brought the truth. Jesus is the truth. You know, it's not just that Jesus is the source of truth. It's not just that, that He is that He is just simply the place where truth comes from, but He's the one who speaks it. It, 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 it. it not only comes from Him, but He's the one who decrees it. When He says it's true, it's true because He says it's true. And He says 2 plus 2 is 4, then that means 2 plus 2 is 4. If He had decided that 2 plus 2 was 5 back when He created, you know what it would be? 2 plus 2 would be 5. That's not what He decided. That's not how He put things together. Well, how could that be, Seth? Because He's God! He's the one who writes the rules. He's the one who gets to say. Jesus is the truth. And by coming and living and being the Son of God and, 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 li and, and dying that death on the cross and, and, and being the Savior, being the Messiah, He brought that truth back. You can't do it. You need a Savior. This world will leave you empty and full of despair. Listen to my words. Look at my life. He's calling them to do this. He's calling them to see Him, to understand Him, to hear Him. Jesus is the truth. Our world hates this idea of absolute truth. My brother, in fact, was at a conference, this, this, this uh, motivational conference that was supposed to help you find success in life. And they were all about, they were all about this from what, from what I was told about it and what I understood about it. They were all about this idea that, you know what, there's not really an absolute truth. Everybody kind of makes that up as, as they go along and do, they do kind of what they want to do. And, and if you say it's true, it might be true for you, but it's not necessarily true for anyone else. But that's a lie. That's a lie. 
Because when God says something, when God says that Jesus is the way, that's true. And you can't argue with that. You can find success in this life living by all the lies you want to live. But you know what? In the end, in the end, there is no hope and no assurance and no nothing but the promise of condemnation. Our world hates the idea of absolute truth, but the things that come through God are just that. And Jesus brought them back. And what we had been accepting as a lie, he challenges us to, 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 to see through, to see past, and see his truth. Not only did Jesus bring truth, not only was he truth, but he is life. Jesus is the life. When Adam and Eve fell into sin, they, they died immediately. So spiritually, they were dead. And everyone who's born from them is dead. There's a lot of religions that don't believe this. Muslims, in fact, I had a good Muslim friend, and we used to debate back and forth and talk about the differences of our faith, and, and finally we came to this place where we understood that we weren't going to convince the other to change their mind. And he told me, this, this really touched me, he told me that he said, you know, our views are so different that we can't reconcile them anyway. And I said, yeah, you're, you're exactly right. He said, but I like you enough that at some level I hope you're the one that's right. That was very touching. Because he's willing to give up on his own self, on, on himself, because someone he cared about could be right. That was touching to me. Sad, because I know what's left for him. But he believed, and he told me this, he believed that when he was born he was perfect. And that until he chose to sin above the age of accountability, until he chose to sin, that he had no need of a Savior. He had no need of doing any work to make himself make his way back to God. We're not the only ones that feel that way. But that's a lie. And the truth of God tells us that's a lie. David wrote a lot of psalms. Was called even in even in scripture was called a man after God's own heart. But he slept with a married woman, and to keep from getting caught after he found out she was pregnant, he sent her husband off to war and told the captains to put him on the front line so that he would die. And the guy died. And after he's confronted by a prophet, he is crushed. You know, as people do when they're caught. He was upset. And this is what he says. As he wrote a psalm in response to his sin and falling at the feet of Jesus for mercy. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity. This is Psalm 51.5. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. My mother was a sinner, not that she was sinning as I was conceived, but she was a sinner, and as she conceived me, I inherited that sin. The moment that an embryo was born, they're sinners. Because they're born of flesh. Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians, or, uh, to the church in Corinth, in 1 Corinthians 15, 21-22, For as a man came by death, or for as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. Without Jesus, we are dead. We may be walking around smiling and laughing, but spiritually, we are dead. Jesus 
in His coming, in the crucifixion, and in His resurrection. You see, that's the great news about all of this, and that's why it still matters today, because He wasn't in the tomb. The tomb was empty. The tomb was empty, and there was no explanation. There was nothing that anybody could point to. Jesus is alive. And because He is, we see that He is God. And because He is God, He says these things and we trust them to be true. And we recognize that through Him, we have life. And we can be made alive. <clears throat> Thomas, sitting there listening to Jesus, hearing Him speak, and he's frightened. I don't know where you're going. How can I find you? I don't know where you're going. And Jesus tells him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. And just a few short days later, just a few short days later, maybe, maybe just a, about a week and a half, Thomas has heard that the tomb was empty. Thomas has heard his friend talking about people, <laughs> talking about seeing Jesus. He's heard these, these men that he served with talking about seeing Jesus. He's like, there's no way. How could this be true? He was dead. I saw it. I know what's going on. He was crucified. And they're together one Sunday morning. Maybe on a morning like this, the sun shining, birds chirping, breeze blowing, beautiful day. And they're locked up in this house because they're afraid and they're, they're, they're confused and they don't know what they're going to do. And they're together. And I don't know where Jesus appears. And he looks at Thomas. And he says, See the hole in my hand? Put your finger there. You see this hole in my side? Put your hand in it. And we don't know that Thomas moved and did anything except fall on his knees and cry out, My Lord and my God. You see, because I think in that moment, Thomas recognized all that Jesus had been telling him that night he was afraid. In that moment, he recognized that Jesus was the way to salvation, that Jesus was the source of truth, that Jesus was his way into life. Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. This is an exclusive statement. It's not something that I want you to hear that just sets us apart from the rest of the world and makes us think as if we are better than they are. <clears throat> because without Jesus, the playing field is level. We have nothing of worth to offer of ourselves. You see, it's a mistake to teach people to live good lives and leave out Jesus. But this morning there's going to be churches gathered around the city. There's going to be people who are listening on TV and they think if I can just be a good parent, if I can just be the man that God created me to be, if I can just be the woman that God created me to be, and maybe even children, if I could just be a child like God wants me to be, He'll love me then. He'll accept me then. No. Those things by themselves may look good in our world. But by themselves they lead to death. Jesus is the way. 
Jesus is the truth and Jesus is the life. All of this, all of these things that I've mentioned, they mean nothing if they're separated from Christ Jesus. The only hope we have, the only assurance that we can know anything of truth and life is by knowing Jesus. And I ask this question an awful lot. Do you know Jesus? And do you believe His words that He is the truth, the life, the way to the Father? He calls us to recognize that it's only by Him and only in Him that things are made true. He calls us to, to quit performing as if we have something to offer and quit pretending as if we're better than what we act like we are. He calls us to recognize that only in Him are the things that were lost in the fall restored in the end. Only in Him can we have reconciliation to the Father. Can that, can that separation that was cast at the fall into sin be bridged? Do you believe in Jesus? Do you trust in Him as the way, the truth, and the life? Every head bowed and every eye closed. And I want you to deal with this for just a minute. And I want you to, I want you to consider this. If you believe it, what are the marks of your life that demonstrate that faith? What becomes evident in your life that you can point a finger at, that you can see the fruit of His work in you?